Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we will once again take up verses 27 through 32. We began to look at these um, last week, um, but we are going to continue because, as I said to you last week, these are not two separate issues that Jesus is addressing. They are two things that fit together to form one big issue, and I want us uh, to do that, but... Before I read, I want to read from a couple of other places. Um, This is a difficult topic today. Not just in general. Not just because there has been a lot of misunderstanding and bad interpretations and even worse applications. Um, but also because it's very personal to some in this room. And so I want to set the agenda. I've, I've already somewhat set it by having us look at, at Deuteronomy um, and with what Jesus says in, in Matthew 19 and, and what Paul says in Ephesians uh, 5. I want to, to read a couple of more things before we read our text for today. This is from Matthew 12, which is citing from Isaiah 43. Jesus withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all. And he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A a bruised reed he will not Break a smoking wick, he will not quench. From John 8, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. From John 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well, Go, 
Call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you, you were right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Jesus, listening to her, said, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The disciples marveled that he was talking with such a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. From Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right hand or right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that the whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before words like this, and we are always tempted to try to dance around them, to try to reinterpret them to make them say more than they are saying or to make them say less than they are saying. There are some of us here who have a bent towards wanting these things to be more harsh than they actually are, and there are others, Lord, who want them to not be as true as they are. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us today as we come before your word to stop attempting to filter your word through our obedience and that we might filter your word through the obedience that Christ has already fulfilled for us as he is the faithful husband of your people who is making us pure who is going to present us with a marriage dress that is gloriously white, clean, and holy, for it will be nothing less than the robes of his righteousness with which we will be dressed forevermore. And so help us to hear you, Lord, 
that we might truly respond in the grace of Christ with a full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience as your people. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks trying to come up with what would be like a cute little story or, or at least a helpful little anecdote or something to get us into this text. And I don't have one, and I don't want one. And what I've decided to do is I'm just going to speak very plainly and direct because I think this issue requires it. What we, we look at today in these verses, moving you know, from adultery to divorce, and, these, and this issue, many have been in the past, and many are even still today, and there are many in this room who are tempted to want to filter what we just read through the question of, well, is divorce biblical or not? The issue is, that's not the question that Jesus is dealing with. And we want to make sure that we deal specifically with what Jesus is attempting to correct so that we don't try to make him say more than he's saying and that we certainly don't make him say less than he is saying. And everything that we've been talking about for the the past couple months really comes to a head here in this discussion as Jesus has told us that if we are going to be one of his disciples, if we are going to be part of the church of Jesus Christ, our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Our righteousness has to be a gift that comes to us from Christ. And our response to that gift is that we are to embody our confession of Christ in his humility and in his holy reverence. As I've said, Jesus has now entered in the Sermon on the Mount into a period in which he is correcting the false interpretations and applications that the Pharisees and scribes are teaching that the Old Testament taught rather than them teaching what the Old Testament actually taught. And what he has said so far is you don't have to physically kill someone to break the commandment of not murdering. You can murder with your words and you can murder with the intentions of your heart. You don't have to physically cheat with someone to commit adultery. You don't even have to be married to commit adultery. Because it is something that can happen in the imagination. It is something that can happen in the heart. It is something that, just like murder, can be expressed in words. This is why the larger catechism and its answer on the question about adultery talks about not flirting. 
Now, as I said last week, as one Reformed uh, minister was talking to a Jewish rabbi about this approach and saying, hey, this is, this is what the Old Testament teaches when Yahweh said to his people that you are to circumcise your hearts, that you are to write my law on your hearts. It's not just the outward conduct that I'm concerned about, but it's, it's the heart and conduct, and as we have been saying from the children's catechism, what God is doing in, in us in Christ is he's making us more and more holy in heart and conduct. The rabbi said, well, if that's how you understand the Old Testament, then all we do is sin. And that is exactly what Jesus is wanting us to embrace. And he's doing that first by letting us eavesdrop in this conversation that he has with the scribes and Pharisees in correcting their false teaching with regards to murder, with regards to adultery, and especially with regards to divorce. And that is because at the time in which Jesus is giving this Sermon on the Mount, even at that time, there was already a debate that was happening amongst different factions of scribes and Pharisees. I always forget the names, so I I wrote them down today, which I normally forget to do. But there was the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. And the school of Shammai would, would have been the more conservative group who said that when you look at Deuteronomy 24, which we read earlier in the service, that it says the only reason for divorce is if there has been adultery. And the Hillel school, which would have been the more progressive school, said no, 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 no. What Deuteronomy 24 is teaching is that if I, as a husband, find anything wrong with my wife, I can divorce her. Now, one of the problems there, before we get into what Jesus says, some of the problems are, right, is that you and I, we are culturally at distance from this whole conversation. When a man would would marry a woman... In the Old Testament, the the woman's father would give money. So what happens if the father gives money, and then a year in, you decide she can't cook? Which, by the way, was one of the stated reasons by the Hillel school. She burns the cooking. Well, then he could divorce her. And then he would marry another woman, and guess what he would get? He'd get another dowry. And then he could decide, she put on a little too much weight. I'm going to divorce her. Well, then I can marry again, and guess what will happen? I'll get another dowry. Hmm. It's also, I mean, it's kind of a good racket, right? Well, for the men. What did this do to the women? What did this do to the children? See, what it would end up doing is it would put the women in a position of either needing to remarry or if they weren't able to remarry to become permanently impoverished. 
Some, because of that, would turn to very bad ways of trying to make a living, to provide food for themselves and for their children. It was not a very good system. And so what Jesus says is, okay, does does Deuteronomy 24 say that you can divorce your wife? Yes, it does. But this provision is because you're sinful. Now, remember who he's talking about. He's talking about Pharisees who were living in the first century, and he says the provision that was given back at, you know, 2,000 years before this, that, that they are continuing the same chaotic sin and, and, and the, the chaos that they were sowing within the people of God who were living in the land of their inheritance, where they had the God in his holy presence living and dwelling among them in his temple, that eventually he would say, you guys have chased after every other God. You are adulterers, and so I'm going to remove my presence by sending you out, and I'm going to have my temple raised to the ground. This is pretty serious stuff. And what Jesus says is, that sin that was manifest, that led to God doing that, you are continuing that sin. All the while, being the guys who were doing what? Check us out. You want to know what God says? Listen to what I had to say. You want to know what's expected for your life? Well, you've got to listen to the scribes and the Pharisees. You see the irony and the problem that needs to be corrected? Sinful men are using a provision of the Old Testament that was put there to try to guard against chaos in the home and in the community. And they're using that and turning it on his head, and they're using that as permission to get rid of wives if they don't cook well or if they don't dress the right way or if they don't fulfill whatever the husband's desire is at that particular moment. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 19, and Paul affirms this in Ephesians 4, that marriage is not for the purpose of the powerful man using the weaker vessel of the woman in order to get what he wants from her. That marriage is about a man loving his wife as Christ loves the church. And Jesus loved his church to the point of humbling himself, taking on flesh, living in a sinful, wicked world, and dying on a cross. That's how Jesus loved his bride. How are men supposed to love their wives? Is it through making arbitrary demands of what they dress, how they dress and what they, how they cook? And, and, and you can go, right? Let your imagination go. Is that why women exist? To fulfill the selfish desires of selfish men? to be discarded, to be cast aside, 
to be put into a position of impoverishment, to be put into a position of having to try to mother children when they don't have any food for them, being tempted with the types of vocations that women throughout the ages have been tempted with because of these kinds of situations? Is that what honors God in marriage? Jesus is being very clear here about what he is striving to address. And that is just like you can destroy someone's life by murdering them with your words or with the intentions of your heart, just like you can destroy your own life by uncontrolled lust and desire that leads you to commit adultery, whether that is physically, whether that is mentally, whether that is emotionally, whether that is relationally. What he is saying is all this stuff will take you somewhere. And where it had taken the scribes and the Pharisees and those who were following their teachings is that they had an uncontrolled desire within themselves and they were using the provisions, they were twisting the provisions of the word of God to make sure that they could say to their wives, you got to please me or I will get rid of you. None of that is God-honoring. None of it. Jesus is not attempting here to give us a full picture of the issue of divorce. And so do not go to this text to try to, to, to formulate, here's what the Bible says about divorce, and, and to quote this one little section. What Jesus is talking about is divorce being a provision that was given because of sinful hearts that could provide protection for the women and the children, and, and that it was to uphold the original intention that his father had for marriage. And that that marriage was a covenant that was being cut between a man and a woman that they would love one another by leaving their parents and cleaving to one another to the point that the two are becoming one. What the Pharisees are doing are making a mockery of all of that. Because what had Yahweh done in cutting a covenant with his people in Genesis 15? Where he had made promises of, here's who I will be to you. I am your exceeding great reward. And here's what I will do for you. I'm I'm going to give you an, an eternal inheritance in which I will dwell with you forevermore where you will get to glorify and enjoy me forevermore. And not because you are able to live up to the standards of the covenant, but because I will fulfill my side of the covenant and I will fulfill your side of the covenant. Because that's my love to you that I will bind myself to you. Those who would be righteous 
and have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees would be men who even though, and especially because their wives are not perfect, would like God the Father and like Jesus Christ love, not because there is loveliness there, but to set one's heart in order to create a loveliness that develops between husband and wife. Jesus is certainly under, is, is, is underscoring here for us how important marriage is, how, how sacred marriage is, and how we are to approach marriage when, when we are trying to love another sinner and trying to do so in a way that reflects God. And what he reminds us of is that this will only happen when we approach all of this with that very specific understanding that even love between husband and wife in the home, it comes out of a union with Christ in which Christ is making the husband and Christ is making the wife more and more holy in heart and conduct. And where the two, rather than practicing unrestrained lust, which will, which will lead you to look at your spouse and see what they are not, rather than cultivating love that allows you to look at your spouse and see what they're not, but see who they are in Christ. You see, one will lead you to cultivate desire in your heart. One will lead you to cultivate being uh, upset or, or feeling that you're let down or whatever you want to put in there. It can lead, When you don't control, when you don't try to order your heart according to, what, to that power of the grace of God that is in there, your heart will chase after the wrong things or it'll chase after the right thing for the wrong reason or in the wrong way. And what it does is it leads to discontentment. And discontentment, when that is nurtured in a marriage relationship, will lead partners to harm one another, to focus on what each other is not, rather than trying to love one another in Christ. So that even as God the Father sees us through our union with Christ, what we are called to, to try to do and to try to grow in is seeing one another in Christ. This is not a full answer on divorce. It is not intended to be. What it is is a reinforcement of how special marriage is and how through murdering with words and emotions and how unrestrained lust that, that might only exist in the imagination will kill your marriage. 
And what Jesus says here to the Pharisees is when you do this, even when you write that certificate of divorce that allows your your ex-wife now to remarry, you are making her an adulterer. Who's the emphasis on there? Is it on the woman? Or is it on the husband who has put her away? And what we must remember is that the Christ who is saying this, who is being very direct and very stringent towards these Pharisees and towards the men who have been listening to them and engaging in their false practices. What you are seeing here is a heart of mercy, that same heart of mercy that, that, we are, that is described of the Christ in Isaiah 43 and Matthew 12, that Jesus will come and he is so gentle that even a match where the flame has gone out, but there's even just that little bit of smoke that is still coming up off the match, Jesus is so gentle, he won't put it out. You have that reed that is bruised and it is bent. And if you're like me and you grew up on the coast, you know exactly what this means. And you see those broken reed or those bent reeds and they're bent over and they form that white substance on the bend because the the the, the life of the plant's being cut off because it's bent. It's not dead yet, but it's definitely struggling. And what is, and what is Jesus? Jesus is so gentle that even with a bruised reed that is bent over, he will not break it off. He is gentle. And he is lowly of heart. He went to the woman at the well. And he risked being identified as someone who is talking to that kind of woman. And how did he talk to her? He was gentle with her. Did, was he gentle by ignoring the facts? No. Did he ignore the truth? No. But he, he used the truth to crush her? Don't you know who I am? I'm the God of the universe. I made you. And here's what you've done with your life that I made. Did he say that? Here's what you owe me. And look at how you have failed me. Here, 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 and here. That you've had this many husbands. He says, if you knew who I was. And if you knew what I'm offering you. You would drink. The woman caught in adultery, and yes, I am aware that, that some scholars say that there's bad manuscript evidence for, this, for this, this story, but it fits. It fits with the gentleness that is described of Christ. He never says 
that the law doesn't say that a woman caught in adultery or a man caught in adultery should be stoned. What he does is he, he takes the focus off of her and he puts it onto the people who are so zealous to put her to death. And who is it in that narrative? It's the scribes and the Pharisees who have been committing adultery through the way that they have been using and divorcing women. If you're so zealous to pick up a stone, throw it at yourself. Now I say this because in some conservative Christian circles, there are two unforgivable sins. One of them starts with an H. It's being celebrated this month. The other is divorce. But beloved, that's not what the scripture teaches. And so as we reflect on Jesus' words here to us, let's not go down the easy road of trying to say, okay, here's what he said about this topic And so here's the answer when that's not what Jesus is doing. And instead, let us do what Jesus is asking us to do. And let's look into our own hearts and ask ourselves, how many times have I committed adultery? And how many times have I put my wife and my children at risk? How many times have I put my husband at risk? and my children at risk. And then let us bask and let us bathe in the fullness of the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Where you and I, regardless of how many times we have broken the sixth commandment, the seventh commandment, the Eighth Commandment, which all lead us to breaking the Tenth Commandment, that we look to Christ. We rest in His finished work of righteousness that is gifted to us, and then we, in His humility and in His holy reverence, strive to embody the life of Christ that is in us, but to do so with grace and with mercy, even as much as we do so with the, with the actions and practices of putting sin to death so that it is not putting us to death. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We praise you for his clarity. And we ask you for for his grace. Help us not to see these these issues from a a shallow, simplistic perspective, but help us to filter all that, that Christ has said to us here through his gentleness, through through the promise that he has made to us that if we are are wearied, 
if we are heavy laden, that we would take his yoke upon ourselves, which is light, and that we would attach ourselves more closely to the one who is gentle and lowly. And Father, help us when we are, in, uh, when we are experiencing temptation within our hearts and within our marriages. Help us, Lord, to take the grace of Christ seriously. Not only the grace that forgives, but the grace that empowers us to endeavor after new obedience. And Father, protect those couples that are struggling right now from thinking that if they just keep their struggles secret, that somehow they'll be able to work through them on their own. But Lord, help them to see that there is a session of elders here at this church that love them deeply and would long for nothing more than to set Christ's holiness before them, the holiness gifted to them, and the holiness to which they are called to live out in their marriages. And Father, we pray that when we hear of someone that has sinned, whatever the sin is, but especially when it's one of those sins that, that we are so often tempted to think is unforgivable, help us, Lord, to respond not with gossip or not to respond with breaking uh, the sixth commandment in our hearts towards them, but instead, Lord, prick our consciences to be filled with the grace of the Holy Spirit and to pray and to offer love and to remind them of the acceptance that they have with you in Jesus Christ. Father, make us truly a people of the grace covenant, the covenant that you cut with us that can never be uncut. And as we, as we celebrate that, Lord, help us to cherish you and to cherish one another. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.